Do you find yourself wishing you had more energy, healthier habits, or fun family activities? At the YMCA, you can find your passion, find family fun, and find your happy place, all while supporting your community. Join the Y in March with a $0 enrollment fee and enjoy motivating group exercise classes, heated pools, pickleball, and so much more. Visit YMCADC.org to learn more and to find your nearest Y in D.C., Maryland, or Virginia today. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. Clothing deserve to die like a mother in grief, a Revolt Black News exclusive as Shanquella Robinson's mother speaks out. We have new information on the investigation into Shanquella's death, reportedly fatally beaten just moments after arriving to start a vacation in Mexico. Is her family any closer to getting justice? They haven't given us any name. We, we can only assume it was the direct aggressor, so that was the female. If they had been better people, my son will still be alive today. Then, dissed by dispatch. When you call 911 for help, could it actually lead to harm? The shocking reality about first responders that was just exposed in the footage from Tyree Nichols' beating. And banning black books, the nationwide push to erase black history from our classrooms. I haven't been okay for a really long time. We get into the trauma of TikTok, how Black Gen Z is opening up about mental health. And I continue to talk about systemic oppression and Black mental health and how people in the society don't give a about people who look like me. That's all tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. everyone, I'm Mara Escampo and welcome to the show. We begin with the investigation into the death of Shanquella Robinson. It's been four months since Robinson, a black woman, was apparently beaten to death during a vacation to Mexico. But where is the outrage? And more importantly, where are the arrests? Our Kennedy Rue had a long and in-depth conversation with the family's attorney, and she's here now with new details. Kennedy? Yes, thank you, Mara. The family is still seeking answers as they fight to hold the people involved accountable. October 28, 2022. Shanquella Robinson arrived at the luxurious Fundadores Beach Club in San Jose del Cabo with a group of six. Suan, I'd love for you to help me dispel some misinformation about the case, if you will. Shanquella originally attended the trip under the invitation of a close friend of hers. Yes. Did they know each other for years? Was it a new friend? If you could tell us that. Um, it wasn't a new friend. She attended the trip under the invitation of one of her closer friends. She didn't know the rest of the parties, but one of the parties was one of her friends. Family attorney Sue Ann Robinson says Shanquella called her mom to confirm her safe arrival and that the group was having a meal prepared for them by a private chef. We know that between the points where we see the videos where obviously she's alive, the next time we see a video is when there is a beating. Quilla, can you at least fight back? 2 p.m. October 29th, a doctor is called. I think it's important to note that reports say that Shanquella was about 5 feet 5'1", 100 pounds. Yes, just a very small, petite girl. 4 p.m., Shanquella's condition takes a turn for the worse. It was actually the travel mates who informed her family via phone from the villa saying 
Shankula is not feeling well. We're going to contact a doctor. Um, so the family knew something kind of, there was an issue. 5.57 p.m. Shankula Robinson was pronounced dead. Who informed Shankula's family of her death? It was the travel mates. And then when they returned to the States, they actually took Shankula's luggage to her mother's home and spoke to her mom. Wow. Can you talk to me a little bit about that conversation? The conversation that was relayed to me by Shankula's mom was that they basically lied to her face and told her that her daughter passed away from alcohol poisoning. So at that point, they were almost consoling Shankwella's mother. Absolutely. They were, they were talking to her about what they were going to wear to the funeral. But then on November 16th, 2022, a video detailing what really happened to Shankwella is released to social media. I'm sure when some of the videos were released surrounding Shankwella's death, I'm sure at one point it was a sigh of relief because at least they had answers. But I know on the other hand, it was probably horrific to watch how it played out. How did the family feel, you know, watching all of this play out on the Internet? It is traumatizing to learn about your family member, your loved one's last moments via social media. But why if the medical examiners knew that something was wrong with Shankwella, they let the travel mates go? That's a good question. We reached out to FBI Charlotte, who told us, quote, the FBI investigation into the death of Shankwella Robinson is ongoing. We know this is a difficult time for her family and the community. The FBI is working with the Department of Justice to conduct a thorough and exhaustive investigation to determine if a U.S. federal crime was committed. And while an arrest warrant has been issued for just one of the six people on vacation with Shankwella, all of them remain free. Joining me now to talk more about Shankwella Robinson's case are her mother, Mrs. Robinson, her sister, Quilla, and attorney, Sue Ann Robinson. I want to offer my deepest condolences for your loss and just thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. We all see how beautiful Shankwella was on the outside. Can you tell us about what she was like on the inside? Who was she to you? She was uh, ambitious, thoughtful, business-driven. She was achieving everything that she desired to do. She loved traveling, but that's one trip we wish that uh, she wouldn't have went on. What do you guys want the world to know about Shanquilla that maybe we don't already know? Yeah, she had a heart of gold, you know, and she didn't do anything to anyone. If she could help you, she would help you. You know, she loved the people. She would give you a shirt off her back. Now, when I spoke to Sue Ann Robinson earlier um, this week, we talked about that Shankwella went on that trip with at least one trusted friend. Now, do you guys know this person? Do you have any relationship with them? We have a relationship with the, the one that you're speaking with. The rest of them, we didn't know. That was a group of individuals she went to school with. When the video was released, I have to ask, because I'm sure it was a range of emotions, but also reassuring that now you were finally able to get some answers. Can you talk to me a little bit about the emotions you were feeling during that time? Once I viewed the video, I can do nothing but scream. It's an unsettling feeling. After viewing the video and then knowing what the coroner report with the broken neck and the uh, 
spinal injury, like that showed proof that something went on there uh, that shouldn't have and that they came back and gave us false information and they did false statements. And then I seen the friend in the video, which he claims that there wasn't any fighting and that it was alcohol poisoning. And then to see him in the video, I immediately called him, but of course he didn't answer the phone. So I know there's one person that Mexican authorities have issued an arrest warrant for. Do you know who that person is? They haven't given us any name. We, we can only assume it was the direct aggressor. So that was the female. At that point, that's in the video. And Sue Ann, can you tell me why getting justice for an international case like this proves to be so difficult? There is a protocol, there is a treaty that's been in effect since the 1970s, and specifically for this. Um, the issue is that at this point, the only case I can compare it to, and we've talked about this before, is Brittany Griner. We will continue uh, to make this a top priority uh, in making sure that uh, we bring her home safely. That is a commitment that we have made. The high level of diplomatic intervention that you saw in order to resolve that case, that's exactly what it would take here. And um, that has not been done. Can you all speak to the willingness of both Mexican authorities and U.S. authorities to get involved and aid you with this case? I mean, how has that process been like? Do you feel like you've been reaching out for help and you're not getting the help that you're seeking? Or what, what has that experience been like? We're not, we're not getting the help that we're seek, seeking. I reached out to the FBI probably about three weeks ago, and I'm still waiting on someone to return my call. If you could say anything to officials, both Mexican authorities and U.S. authorities, what would you say to them? Help us out, do their job. So I understand you guys have something important to share exclusively with Revolt Black News, and I want to give you the opportunity to do so right now. On Friday, we're going to go to Washington, D.C. The way to push this case forward is to demand a high level of diplomatic intervention. And so we're gonna to go to the Capitol and make that demand at 10.30 a.m. The address is 633 Pennsylvania Avenue. It's actually at the National Negro Women Council office building. We're gonna have Tamika D. Mallory from Until Freedom. We're going to have attorney Ben Crump, who's co-counsel on this case. We're going to have community leaders from Charlotte, North Carolina, come and speak. Obviously, we're going to have Mrs. Robinson and Quilla speak as well. We understand clearly from Mexican authorities that they have submitted all their documentation to the U.S. authorities, the FBI, Interpol, and the ball is in the U.S. government's court to get the case moving. And what will Friday mean to you guys? I hope that it helped to get us something done to get these people up off their behind and get get justice for Shankwala. And if you could say anything to the president and VP, what would you tell them to help move this case forward? Stand with the family. Yes, absolutely. And we are standing with you guys. We are fighting for justice for Shankwala in any way we know how. Here, that's using our microphone and amplifying her story and expelling misnomers. So just know that you have an ally in Revolt Black News and any news that you guys have or any updates, we would love to be kept abreast of that. We appreciate you for that. Thank you. Thank you, Thank Thank you, you. both so much. Bye.
Welcome back. That is the disturbing body cam video leading up to the recent death of Tyree Nichols. That tragedy put the spotlight back on the issue of police brutality again. But the video also raised a different issue. Many were shocked to see EMTs do absolutely nothing to help Tyree for an agonizingly long 19 minutes as he was dying. Well, it turns out it's not as unusual as you may think, as we reveal in Dist by Dispatch. You can see two of the EMTs arriving on the scene. A Tennessee board suspended the EMT licenses for failing to render critical care to Tyree Nichols. Some are calling the actions of those EMTs egregious. In the moments after Tyree Nichols' beating in Memphis, EMTs can be seen doing lots of things. They prop him up, chat with officers, shine a flashlight on the 29-year-old. But what they don't do is offer any medical care to a dying man, visibly injured, writhing in pain, barely conscious. One of several recent cases of shocking medical neglect by first responders. Sit up now. I am not playing with you tonight. Sit up. As 35-year-old Earl Moore Jr. struggled through alcohol withdrawal in his Illinois home in December, uh, uh. paramedic Peggy Finley screamed at him to get up and walk. Because I am seriously not in the mood for this dumb kid. You can walk, come on. Moore couldn't even stand up, laying on the ground, moaning in pain. But Finley never even took his vital signs. The patient is slightly combative and confused. He's, I'm not messing with getting vital because I'm not going to poke the bear. No, use your legs. After being forced to walk and collapsing several times, Moore finally made it outside where he was strapped to a gurney face down by Finley and another responding EMT. Body cam video shows them pulling the restraint as tight as possible across Moore's back. Less than an hour later, he was pronounced dead at the hospital. Cause of death, asphyxiation or suffocation due to his positioning. You never place somebody in the prone position. The prone position is on your stomach. Retired paramedic and firefighter Michael Estrada watched the Earl Moore Jr. video in horror. They didn't do any assessment. They didn't check his level of consciousness. They didn't check his airway. They didn't check his breathing. Everything they did was, was totally wrong. In the United States, racism is an independent risk factor for death. Full stop. Patient safety expert and equity champion Dr. Ronald Wyatt, who has over 26 years in this field, says the system is set up to fail black and brown people. If you look at other evidence of how long does it take uh, EMS, EMT, ambulance crew, uh, 911 to respond based on zip code, uh, there is a difference. And it's no surprise, he says, that less than 6% of paramedics are black. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. So if you if you have less than six percent uh, first responders, and if you had you look at then what are the outcomes of the of the people stratified by race, ethnic, and language? What's their clinical outcome? I can predict to you what you will find. You will find misdiagnosis, delays in diagnosis, no diagnosis, uh, limited or no care, 
and people end up with either temp severe temporary harm, permanent harm, or death. When the first responders did arrive, they saw me as a black male that was uncoordinated, mumbling, could not communicate with them, and they immediately started treating me um, as a black male that was either intoxicated or um, having an overdose on drugs. When a sickle cell stroke left Kevin Wake unable to speak in 1999, first responders just assumed he was high, which led him to getting the wrong medical treatment in the hospital. Only after I was able to flag a nurse down, it happened to be a nurse of color, um, I was able to write with my non-dominant hand, my left hand, the three words, and that was sickle cell stroke. And um, I truly believe, because she actually took me seriously, that saved my life. And while many first responders have faced lawsuits for their screw-ups, some cases go far beyond negligence. Probably the most well-known case, Elijah McClain. Hey, stop right there. Stop. 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 I have a right to stop you because you're being suspicious. On August 24, 2019, the 23-year-old massage therapist was walking home when police approached him tackled him. I am an introvert. Please respect the boundaries that I am speaking. And used a now banned chokehold to keep him still. Then paramedics injected him with a lethal amount of the sedative ketamine, approximately 50% more than the right dose for his size, leading to cardiac arrest. What were you initially told when your son was injured? I was told that someone called um, 911 because there was a suspicious individual banging on uh, vehicles in the parking lot. He looks sketchy. I don't he might be okay. a good person or a bad person. Yeah. And what did you make of that? You described your son as a very peaceful person. I I knew they were lying, um, but I didn't have any proof. Chill out. You've already been told several times to stop. I can't fix myself. Once they finally released the body cam footage, uh, I was... I was invited to the police department to view a small percentage of the video um, with a few other individuals. And it was apparent to me just from, you know, the, the video that they allowed me to see, the, the little amount of it that they allowed me to see, that they jumped my son. You guys. I there was no way for Elijah to grab for anyone's gun because there was two heavy men on him. Yeah, breathe correctly because... Move your camera, dude. Literally, all it took was a conversation that they chose not to have with my son before putting their hands on him like they themselves were gang members. We often focus on police misconduct. Do you think that more attention needs to be paid on first responders and medical responders in situations like this? Yes, I do, because they work together. They work hand in hand. They're like, they all go to the same clubs, as far as I'm concerned. They're all a part of the same system that looks at people of color like animals instead of human beings. Once this, this medicine kicks in, we're gonna uncuff him, put him on the bed. Okay. What would you like to say to the officers and the paramedics who were involved in your son's death? Wow. If they had been better people, my son would still be alive today. 
if they had been better at their jobs and competent at their jobs, my son would be alive today. And they're not going to get away with the evil, racist hatred that they did to my son the night they murdered him. I don't do any fighting. I don't even kill flies. I don't eat beef. Are you hopeful that you will have justice? Do you have faith that you will get justice? Not really. Um, there, there really is no justice for me because I can't get my son back. Um, Elijah's gone. Um, the only thing I can have from this time is, um, excuse me one moment. You take all the time you need. The only thing I can do is to make sure that there's some type of new law or new protocol that makes it very hard for them to continue to do the things that they did. Um, their protocols are inhumane. Their training is inhumane. They're not taught, they're not trained to correspond with the suspects. They're just trained to shoot and kill. They're just trained to apprehend and debilitate, you know? So in my hopes for justice and accountability is that other people don't in, in, um, encounter the same horror my son did. Western culture and values that brought forth Christianity in the founding documents are being called evil and racist. I am not co-parenting with the government. It is not your job to force these ideas onto my child. The narrative in this country is that we're all inherently racist and I'm about sick of it. It's a Marxist ideology and we all know it. All of these lessons have the intent to make our children feel disgust towards our nation. Welcome back everyone. Well, the American sport of gaslighting black people has entered a new era. All across the country, mostly white conservatives have launched a battle against historical fact. In Florida, a child's book can be banned if it makes white kids feel bad. That is an actual law, and it's just the beginning. Remember, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis likely wants to be president, so we can only imagine he wants to see this happen nationwide. Other states are already taking their cues from Florida, seemingly trying to erase black history from classrooms. This is about a parent's movement to take back our schools. These days in Florida and across the nation, the past is present. You have materials that you're providing where it says if you were born a white male, you were born an oppressor, you are abusing our children. Critical race theory is a more than 40-year-old approach to learning that was perfected in law schools, at the point in time in which black scholars were critically thinking about the conditions of black folks at that point in, in time. With a battle over history front and center, and not just any history, black history. This is an unlawful arrest. I have a first amendment right. Last year, Florida's conservative governor, Republican Ron DeSantis, signed two bills into law, both allowing officials to ban books or entire topics they consider inappropriate. 
Now, a state-appointed media specialist goes through every single book in classrooms and libraries to decide what goes. 21 of the Florida school districts and almost 600 titles are affected by these new laws. So what are they getting rid of? Mostly books on black history, including anything that might make white children feel bad about racism. Hi, I'm Lupita Nyong'o, and I wrote a book called Sulwe. Academy Award-winning actress Lupita Nyong'o's book Sulwe is just one of the books that have been banned. Sulway, a New York Times bestseller, is a moving picture book about colorism, self-esteem, and learning that true beauty comes from within. Dark and beautiful, bright and strong. Other books on the banned list include books about black historical figures like Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks, and Martin Luther King Jr. The new laws also specifically ban teachers from in-school discussions about racism, oppression, or LGBTQ plus issues. In January, DeSantis used these laws to reject a proposed advanced placement course in African-American studies, saying it was, quote, indoctrination that lacks educational value. What I'm seeing with uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida and the attack on college AP Um, college courses with having older kids that are taking the AP classes, as well as myself using those books to help my own knowledge, it is, it is, it is concerning. Pamela Smith, a Florida mother of five, started homeschooling her kids 14 years ago. She says the school system hasn't been serving black kids for a long time, and these new laws are making things even worse. Our children are not seeing themselves reflected. True American history is telling the entire story of, you know, American history. It's not leaving out certain parts. So we are, uh, my husband and I are, are really doing a lot of research ourselves before we could teach it to our kids. So I actually get college African-American history books and I study it because I want to be able to learn it from a non-biased standpoint. The lesson? Education has become a racially divisive political issue. It's a battle for control of classrooms not seen since school desegregation in the 50s and 60s. Well, there are only going to be a few of them uh, in your school here. Well, I think we did this one without them. How do you boys feel about And some say these education bans can be compared to other times in history. To the point of banning, what the suppression does and what, what we've seen it do in other countries is um, set up attempts to prevent people from being able to take up space. We've seen in uh, Nazi Germany, North Korea, where they would censor certain books. They would imprison people who leverage freedom of speech, especially if they were critical of their political positioning. In addition, we get critical race theory out of our schools, out of our military, and out of every part of our federal, state, and local governments. In recent years, the far right has made critical race theory a topic that fires up white voters all across the country. An Education Week analysis found that 18 states have imposed some kind of restrictions on how teachers can discuss race, and 12 states are considering such bills. 
The right has even co-opted the word woke. Most Republicans are now awakened to this fact that wokeness is weakness. It's a cancer that's eating America from inside out. Which was created for us by us. What woke is is keeping your antenna up and paying attention to the things that are going around, along. Mm-hmm. I stay woke, mm-hmm. you know. Case in point, Florida's Stop Woke Act, where woke is used as an acronym for wrong to our kids and employees. We fight the woke in the legislature. We fight the woke in the schools. We fight the woke in the corporations. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. But Florida's Bishop Rudolph McKissick is definitely keeping the fight alive. Uh, Reverend Sharp is one of my dearest friends. And I said, Al, I I need you to come here. We can't just sit idly by and watch this happen. If you would study history, Governor, you would have known to mess with us in education always ends to your defeat. You talk about Florida is where woke we went from work to work, and we gonna work on you, DeSantis. He recently organized a protest with national figures in Jacksonville, Florida, to fight this attempt to rewrite history. The reality is your children and other generations can be comfortable now because our ancestors were uncomfortable for years. I do believe that they're trying to take us back. You know, uh, in the past, uh, they wore robes and burned crosses. Now they wear suits and write policies. They know that this country is by and large prejudiced in certain areas, whether by skin or concerning. Yo, what's going on? Hope all is well. I'm Duke. I'm Omar. I'm Jalan. And this is Nice and Neat, the podcast. We're three quintessential friends dedicated to the 360 degree development of men. Our goal is to not only share our experiences, but offer as much value as we possibly can through the lessons we've learned along the way. When I say we talk about everything, we talk about everything. Character, discipline, career development. Oh, and let me not forget, we get real personal. Now make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our episodes. Write a review. Let us know what you think. Enjoy. Somebody's sexual orientation, they know that's a red meat topic and that they can use it to propel themselves to higher offices. And if we don't do something about it, we will revisit an oppression and disenfranchisement in this country unlike we've ever seen. back. Turning now to TikTok, everyone's favorite new social media platform. Here's what makes TikTok different from everything else. Thanks to their For You page, TikTok tells you what to watch, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. Well, Kennedy is here with us again, and she is breaking it all down. Yes, of course. So TikTok can help you discover lots of fun new content, but is there a flip side? Is TikTok intentionally feeding you clips that are bad for your mental health? The scroll. Love it or hate it, we all do it. And on TikTok, it's easy to scroll for hours, going down rabbit holes from dance trends to tutorials to just plain weird. So come to my live and comment, fix my teeth. 
It's one of the most popular and some would say addictive social media apps in the world, with over 1 billion users. Gen Z prefers it with nearly 6 in 10 teenagers who say they use it daily. When you become addicted to TikTok, check my social media, yeah. just see who loves me online. While TikTok has become an outlet for creativity and inspiration, there's a darker side too. I haven't been okay for a really long time. And I continue to talk about systemic oppression and black mental health and how people in the society don't give a about people who look like me. There's a growing concern about how the app impacts the mental health of black Gen Zers especially since research shows black teenagers are more likely to use TikTok. 81% of black teens use it compared to just 71% of Hispanic teens and 62% of white teens. I was just on the app a ton and I was on it for hours and hours. 23-year-old Jerome Yankee left TikTok in 2021 because he says scrolling was taking over his life. I prioritized TikTok over sleep and that was a was a, a red flag for me just to be aware of. I was letting social media and the content other people were putting out affect me personally and physically. Before deleting TikTok, Jerome had dreams of going viral for his comedy videos. But over time, he started noticing something disturbing. It was all-nighters. It was sacrificing my body for TikTok. It was sacrificing my time. It was sacrificing, you know, my experience with my friends for TikTok. What makes TikTok different than other apps is the For You feed. It's an endless scrollable stream of curated videos that TikTok thinks you'll enjoy. Their recommendations are based on a number of factors. Videos you've liked, the type of content you create, accounts and hashtags you follow, and most importantly, how long you watch each video. It's infinite, you know, you can just keep going. There's no there's no particular endpoint. Each piece of content is short enough to where you don't really feel like you're consuming that much. So you can keep going piece after piece. Studies show the danger is in TikTok's algorithm. The app pushes self-harm and eating disorder videos to teens within minutes of joining, according to a new report by the Center for Countering Digital Hate. Researchers set up accounts posing as 13-year-old users interested in body image and mental health. Here's what happened. It recommended body image and mental health content every 39 seconds. Within 2.6 minutes, TikTok recommended suicidal content. And within 8 minutes, it pushed videos about eating disorders. I think it's important that we understand that when we look at the mental health challenges associated with these social media properties like TikTok, that much of what young people are dealing with is this exposure to already traumatized information. Dr. Nicole Turner-Lee is a senior fellow at Bookings Institution and studies biases in social media algorithms. She says the problem with TikTok lies in what the users are exposed to. When you start to think about things like eating disorders, racism, classism, uh, beautyism, and all these other colorism, they all show up in some way on TikTok because communities are formed based on the algorithm. TikTok is owned by Chinese company ByteDance, but it's important to note that the algorithm for the Chinese version is vastly different, promoting science and culture content, and it limits users under 14 to only 40 minutes a day. 
as a therapist, I have witnessed uh, the dangers of overconsumption of social media and just being uh, granted access to a lot of the things that come with social media, specifically TikTok. Shaheen McLaurin is a licensed therapist and social worker and has more than 472,000 followers on TikTok. If you are not a Black person who can easily be fit into a trope, it will be very hard for you to be successful on TikTok, but in life in general. He's seen firsthand through his clients how social media can be used to build community and used for harm. Kids have a lot more access to toxic stories, uh, bullying, harassment, racism, you name it. These kids are being shown these things and these things are being pushed on like Black children specifically. Suicide rates for Black youth is increasing faster than any other demographic, according to the CDC. Black children under the age of 13 are twice as likely to die by suicide compared to white teens. I think it's also important when we think about Black teenagers. Our teenagers are in a crisis right now. They're in a state of dilemma. A crisis underscored by the U.S. Surgeon General's advisory that Black youth face a higher risk of depression and stress due to the pandemic and the recent racial reckoning over police violence against Black people. In the wake of George Floyd's death in May of 2020, Black creators complained TikTok either removed or hid their videos about the protests happening across the country. TikTok admitted a technical glitch affected the Black Lives Matter and George Floyd hashtags, making it seem like they had zero to few views, even though the hashtag had over one billion views. Beware that there are people who support Black Lives Matter alongside white supremacists on the same platform. But at the same time, Black creators have come out and felt censored on applications like this. Bro, I am sick and tired of this censorship, TikTok. Anytime I go on live speaking facts, bro, my live gets banned. What violation did I get? Whenever you get banned, it tells you the violation you did. So what did I do? Why is it blank? They don't tell you this when you start content creating, but this shit is so hard. And excuse my language, but it's so hard. And I'm so exhausted. And a lot of my mutuals are being bullied off of this app. Timmy Tope Abasoy blames algorithm bias for content not reaching her more than 99,000 followers. I stopped posting for a while just because of the fact that, like, I was so tired of, like, putting out content that wasn't pushed out to the people that I thought, that wasn't pushing out um, to my For You page or to followers. Because we spend so much time making content and we don't see any, like, reward for our labor, that could also, like, be draining and be depressing. TikTok denies allegations of racism and censorship and in a statement emphasized that the platform is working hard to support black voices and causes. Nevertheless, black TikTokers say they still feel excluded on the app. I would not say that TikTok is a safe space for black creators. So whereas we see all this hateful, extremist, homophobic content that actually shows up on TikTok, we also don't see the balance where there are imageries and stories and suggestions from Black content creators who often feel shadow banned, right, from these uh, technologies because their content is not floating to the top. Coming up after the break, Michael B. Jordan. That's it. That's the whole tease. Don't go away. How long were you locked up? 18 years, bro. Just got out last week. 
Glad to have you back out, huh? I know I've been away a long time, but I kept myself in shape. I still got gas in the tank. Come by the gym. That's Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors in the highly anticipated Creed 3. Welcome back, everyone. The film hits theaters March 3rd, and Kennedy, you just sat with these two powerhouse men. That's a really tough assignment, huh? Oh, it's, it was horrible, Mara. <laughs> I could barely do my job. <laughs> two fine brothers in tip-top shape. Add that to Michael B. Jordan is not only acting in the film, but he's also calling the shots behind the scenes. Action. In his directorial debut, Michael has created more than just a boxing movie, tackling black male stereotypes head on. Talk to me about the importance in highlighting forgiveness, toxic masculinity, all while providing an inclusive set environment. Within our culture, you know, men in general, I think talking about your feelings and talking about the past or, or what happened is really, really, you know, tough for us to do. It's been like frowned upon and look, looked at as being weak or less of a man or anything like that. As far as being inclusive, you know, I don't think about it, you know, I, that's just kind of like, you know, what I'm programmed to be, how I was raised to be, you know, in the environment that I grew up in, you know, is, is to include as much as possible. Michael grew up in Newark, New Jersey, and got his first movie role at age 14 in Hardball with Keanu Reeves. Now 36, he has appeared in close to 60 films, including all three Creed movies. When I walked away from boxing, I walked away with some unfinished business. In Creed 3, he reprises the role of a now aging heavyweight champ, Adonis Creed, who faces off against his ex-con best friend, played by Jonathan Majors. So I feel like in the film, both of your characters are made to feel like they're past their prime. Mm. Um, I know we always ask women this, I know especially in our industry, mm. um, have you ever been made to feel like you were past your prime? I know you guys are young and stuff, or have you embraced this idea that your characters have that your prime is many in your lives? That's a beautiful question, and I want to answer that in so many different ways. For me, no, I feel like I just got here. You know, the idea of the athlete, you know, you got LeBron James who just broke the all-time scoring record, you know what I'm saying? He's not 40 yet. And the fact that he's old is ridiculous, you know what I'm saying? He's not even 40 yet. What are you talking about? I think this idea of your past, your prime is, is, a, is a mental thing, and um, you shouldn't let nobody else put boundaries on you. It's a construct of the week, you know? Limitation is that in general. If you say you can't, you can't. If you say you can, you can't. Mara, I will tell you that the movie is really good with Michael at the helm. I mean, he really forged a family atmosphere on set that you could feel. And FYI, Creed 3 was filmed right here in Atlanta. I can't wait to see it. Thank you, Kennedy. Before you guys go, have you seen our conversation on situationships, all about the new rules for dating? Well, you don't want to miss it. And it's on the Revolt app. Plus, we have a lot more exclusive digital content there. So download the app. You can also stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Revolt on YouTube, and our Revolt Black News Podcast. Till next time. Good night, everybody. Bye.
going on, everybody? This is Dr. Shonda, and I am here from the Paging Dr. Shonda podcast. If you're a fan of psychology and mental health, be sure to check out and subscribe to the Paging Dr. Shonda podcast, a show that covers and talks about buzzing topics in pop culture, mental health in the black community, and faith-based topics. And it's brought to you exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip-hop, powered by creators.